0: Welcome to the Willow Valley Podcasting Channel, where exciting podcasts are created by Willow Valley residents, for Willow Valley residents, and about Willow Valley residents. Hello, my name is Mike Ciccarelli. I'm a resident here at Willow Valley for about eight years, and today's guest is Carol Reeves, As an intro to today's program, I must admit that I have a tall stack of books that I have purchased and set aside. Recently, Carol, a dear neighbor and friend, has published a book that is available on Amazon and some bookstores. It did not get added to my stack. Once I started reading it, I couldn't put the book down. Raising families, we had some things in common. Carol had three sons and a daughter in 10 years. My family added three daughters and a son in the same period. Now, all of my family memories are in the form of boxes of photographs. Then I got them into photo albums. Then I went to 8 millimeter. then to VHS, which have now been converted to DVDs then I popped into Facebook, and now I have a YouTube channel. But Carol actually wrote a book. And just wondering, Carol, why did it take you so long to tell your story?
1: Well, good morning, Mike. Um, I really didn't have a story to tell back then. Uh, I had a series of very sad events in my life, but that certainly wasn't unique. I, I wasn't the only one suffering from sad things. It wasn't until I looked back, as I say in the book, with the kinder, gentler lens of age, that the story began to form not in anger and not as a victim, but as a woman blessed again and again by life's little miracles. In today's market, the book is looked at like a period piece. If I'd written it then, it would have just been another book. But for young people today reading the book, it's it's a picture of what a woman's life was like in the 1970s. And it was very different than today.
0: Yes, I found that interesting because we're about the same age and indeed... Uh, life today is much different than it was, uh, well, actually 50 years ago, as hard that is to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, after all this time, how could you remember so th- things so clearly as you do in that book? I mean, your, your memories in, seem to be quite vivid at times.
1: You know, I've had that question a lot, and I think the secret is that Memoir is really, it's considered creative nonfiction. It's not fiction, but it uses the tools that you would use in writing fiction. Um, if if I had just written the story, uh, it wouldn't engage you as a reader at all. But if you could smell the smells and feel the feels and hear the the birds and... If I can create that for you, then I can tell my story in a way that it'll come real to you. So I think that I didn't remember every word. I do have certain memories that I know are exactly as they were. And I think when you read the book, you probably can pick those out, Um, certain days that I'll never forget, certain words I'll never forget. I can't say for sure that every conversation I had went exactly the way I wrote it. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I found fascinating reading the book was that, of course, raising families, we all have things that come up in life that we don't expect. I mean, I had seven grandsons, Mm -hmm. and uh, the last one was born, and my daughter knew it from the sonogram, that he was going to be born with a cleft lip and palate. Aww. And her being an RN, she started doing research to find the best surgeon. And that was, you know, something that we had not had to deal with in raising the other six grandsons. So this presented a challenge. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons that I related to your book so well is that you told a story of the challenges that you were facing as a mother and a wife and how this Uh, led to certain things that uh, changed the course of events. Uh, Were you worried about your family's reaction to the book?
1: Uh, Yes and no. Um, Another thing that is maybe unique about the way I wrote this book is I wrote it episodically, I wrote it in episodes. I didn't sit down and write a chronological story from you know the day I got married and then that was the day uh, you know, it, it ended. And so I wrote it over a number of years. <clears throat> and so the episodes um, allowed me to um, create something, and then put it aside, but as I was doing that, I would share it with a either a son or a daughter in law. And actually it became my my kids were the ones that that were pushing me on and encouraging me to write it. And it opened it opened conversation in our family about how they were feeling when um, this was going on, when their brother was sick and their brother was dying, they'd never really thought about what it was like for me. And I'd probably not given nearly enough thought as to what it was like for them. So in the end, they were the ones that pushed me to really go ahead and, and have a book made and tell a story um, that might be helpful for other families.
0: Okay, so your family was a big influence in you deciding to have it published. Yes. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe the struggles or the uh, how getting a book published uh, can present problems that the average person might, might not realize? Well,
1: probably the, the first thing I would say is... The brain power or the talent it takes to write well does not necessarily fold itself into being a business person. Quite the opposite. Um, I decided, I okay, I, I, I've got the book in a form. I'd taken it to be printed in a little folder, and now what do I do? So I decided I, I was from the age where you. I was kind of a literary snob. I didn't think that self-publishing was was legitimate. I had to have a, you know, it picked up by a traditional publisher. So I took a class, and it was I want to say six weeks. It was a really tough course. <clears throat> I did it online, and what I learned after all that money and all that time and all that work was that my book was never going to get published. Um, In today's market, publishers are looking for people with strong media, social media platforms. They don't read, which I was surprised, they don't read your book. You send a query letter and a little piece of your book, which probably would end up in a pile for a student who's helping out an editor, and it's called a slush pile. And so the piece of your book will be in a slush pile and maybe or maybe not the kid who's looking at it has a date that night, wants to get through fast. I mean, you're just the idea I had that somebody was going to sit down like you did and read my book from cover to cover was was a joke.
0: I read it twice. <clears throat> and I know other residents who are reading it for a second time. That's that's how in, enjoyable and how so many people can relate to the story, that they want to go back. Mm -hmm. Very few books I read a second time. I mean, the only books I started reading a second time was because of Mr. Rothberger. I mean, how many teachers do you remember? (laughs) And he was my high school chemistry teacher. And uh, he said, you know, you can't read a book on chemistry or biology or like that once. You have to read it twice. And so I picked up that habit of something that's really important I want to read it twice, yeah, and, and that's how much I felt that your book was important to me.
1: Well, thank you. I think reading something twice, you always get something different out of it the second time anyway, and I know that part of what, what I, I had given up on on having it published at all after I took the class, and then somebody in our writers group had... Uh, a book published by Archway, which is uh, Simon & Schuster's self-publishing arm. And I went to Writers' Club and saw this beautiful book, and I went home and I said to myself, I could do that. So that was what I did. Nine months later, I paid for a package and set out to create what you saw in front of you.
0: Okay. Money well spent. And uh, this morning as I went to my mailbox, I picked up the latest publication of the Willow Valley Writers Group called Climbing the Mole Hill. And I see that you are a pretty active participant and usually have several pieces published in that each time it comes out. And uh, it's very interesting to read your takes on, for example, the holiday season and uh, your reaction to... Uh, viewing a painting that 's been in your family for years, and how being a member of the writers' group has caused you to examine your feelings about this painting, which at first uh, you didn 't want to have it. your husband insisted on it, and you said it 's too expensive, and then i can 't fit we can 't fit it in the car but you brought it up, you you finally gave in, brought it home, and now it's in a treasured spot in your home, and you shared over many, well, decades, really, uh, how, how you look at this painting in a different way than you first did when you bought it many years ago.
1: Well, one of the things I love about the writers group uh, at Willow Valley is we have a lot of fun, and I would say that that... That painting, uh, I think our prompt that month was write about a picture that you have in your home somewhere. And I think that that's, for me, that's just a lot of fun. Um, I think I told you, Mike, that at my age, I've decided I'm definitely not going to write another book. <laughs> but I've t- I'm taken to flash fiction and I've been writing 50-word, uh, or learning to write 50-word stories. And after writing a 39,000-word book, you can imagine what it's like to compress that into 50 words. But it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, I might give 50 words a try. Yes. But there's no way I'm going for 39,000. <laughs> That's yes. an impossibility for me. Yeah. Uh, One of the things, uh, has anything surprised you in the reader's reactions to your book?
1: I think the thing that surprised me the most, and you're an example of it, is that every person that's read it that I know of has said to me, I read it in one sitting or I read it in two days. And what you said, many people say they read it again, and I, I guess I didn't expect that, but it, it warmed my heart because it meant that one chapter led them into the next, then they wanted to see what happened, and, and I think that's, that's really a gift to me because you know, if you are reading a book and you put it down and then you can't remember where you were and then you don't remember, you have to go back and get the characters. So um, it's not a very long memoir, no. <laughs> but it, you can read it. In yes. A, in yeah. A the signature. second time,
0: uh, one of the things I decided to do was count how many miracles I could pick out. Oh. And uh, I picked out 16, but I'm sure there are, are many. And uh, that brings us to my next inquiry. Uh, how did you arrive at the title for the book?
1: Well, I actually, for some reason, that title was the first one in my mind. And I think it came from the idea that I was so busy looking for the one big miracle, which was praying for my son to get well, that I missed all the little ones along the way. And it wasn't until I started looking back and realizing that the person that just walked into that store at the moment or the The job I got with no talent, no, you know, the the lucky, some people call it, some people call it a miracle, some people call it serendipity. Um, But there were so many situations when I looked back that that became the story. And then I went through a a friend of mine who said, well, you can't call it a miracle because it's not a real religious miracle and so I tried to find another name and I kept coming back because they are little miracles and every one of us have them in our lives and probably have passed over or not really stopped to think about them and I think if somebody reads my book and it and it makes them look back at their lives in a different way It can be very healthy at our age. You know, we can think like victims or we can think like blessed human beings. And I chose door number
0: two. (laughs) Okay. I'm with you on that. Yeah. And uh, as we were uh, speaking as friends about this book and and the the route to publishing it, you had brought up something that I know myself and probably many people who have never really thought about having a book published would think about. And that is litigation. Uh, And we just discussed this briefly. And it's funny how, you know, life leads you down a path. And I'm an avid reader. I try to read five newspapers a day. Yeah. Uh, And one of the ones I love to read is... uh, I look at the New York Times and oh, uh, I read obituaries and this one caught my eye. It was a woman named Lily Safra, 87, who recently passed away. And first I wasn't going to read it and I said, Gee, let, me, let me take a look at this. And I was amazed by it. I mean, she was a multi, 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 multi millionaire who gave away philanthropically uh, to so many wonderful organizations doing good in the world. And some of the tragedies she had in her life, uh, her second husband committed suicide, and then her son and grandson died in a car accident that same year. And uh, then she was married a fourth time to the founder of Republic National Bank I lived in New York most of my life, and that was a very famous Ah, bank in New York.
1: There came the money.
0: And uh, well, she might, she had money before (laughs) this also, but uh, that was a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And uh, he uh, had Parkinson's disease, and they had a six story penthouse in Monaco uh, among one of their many residences. And uh, they had the bathroom converted to a safe house. And one of the security team members was a former Green Beret. Mm. And he decided to really make an impression on the family. He would start a small fire in a waste paper basket. But beyond his control, it got out of control. And although everyone was pleading with him to unlock the door, he didn't so he perished in the fire his wife escaped but although over the years many publications including vanity fair had published all these articles that just you know just put all kinds of false accusations against her finally a novelist uh, who is a biographer wrote a book and that was it that pushed her button And she said, I can't take this anymore. So she hired an attorney who went to the publisher. And although no names were mentioned, people were picking up on the fact that items mentioned in this book mirrored her life. And Mm -hmm. although the names were fictitious, anybody who knew could tell it was made up. And so the publisher immediately pulped all the copies. Uh, And so... You also brought something to mind that I had not considered, and that was this issue of litigation.
1: Well, I, as a member of a Facebook group called Association of Memoir Writers of America, they talk about this all the time. And uh, people have different views on what is libel and And a lot of people say, oh, it would cost him so much to sue you. He'll never do it. Um, I was sent Archway being a, a arm of Simon and Schuster. I was sent a list of libel guidelines, and and it really rang true with me. But the the saving grace in writing your book forty years later is you can't libel a dead person, and that was the one thing that um, the only people that were a, even mentioned in unfavorable terms, had been dead for 20-some years. I spent a weekend looking up old faces and names to see if they were alive or dead. And I did take a couple of names out, um, just called them a doctor or a lawyer without a name. But basically it is something you should be aware of. And, And libel has to do with if you cause someone else, um, if you affect their reputation by what you say, you have to be very careful.
0: Okay, okay. well, I think that at this point, uh, we don't want to get into the details of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do suggest is that you pick either a copy up in hard print, which I like to read, or online, and Share it with your friends because it will have an effect and this is the way the world grows and people become more accepting and engaging in others and loving each other uh, by reading about some of the, the things we go through in sharing life together. Uh, so get a hold of it, read it, pass it on. And Carol, would you like to add any final thoughts or comments?
1: Well, I'm very grateful to Mike for telling people about the book and for talking about the book. I've been unable to market it due to my family situation right now, and so this is a real thrill for me to be able to sit and, and have more people hear me than um, just sitting around the dining table. So I'm, I'm thrilled and thankful to you,
0: Mike. And I won't take a cut. Uh, you may have one no I don't want one (laughs) just be successful thank you for being a dear friend and neighbor
1: thank you Mike
0: thanks for listening and be sure to listen again next week and every week when we'll have another exciting guest